You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. In fact, it's one that we've been through many times as a church family because it's so encouraging and it provides so much strength to the believer. So join with me, if you would, at recognizing Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 18, as we preach a, really a thanksgiving thought. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. As a result of being filled with the Spirit, you'll be able to address one another. You'll do it in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, just like we did this morning together. You'll sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Now pay attention to this. Special attention to this. Giving thanks always. And, not not just that. I mean, give thanks always. And for everything. And do it to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if, if all it had said was give thanks always to God the Father, if that's all it would have said, I think I could understand that. I think I could more easily accept it and, and, and move on and, and feel as if, okay, I can do that. But it didn't just say that. It said to give thanks always, but when it said, and for everything, all of a sudden, it got difficult. They just did. I'm just being honest. Maybe I'm pointing something out to you for the, for the very first time that you're like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be difficult. I mean, I, giving thanks always, at, at, at all times, for everything, for all things. Now, if I'm completely honest with you, I mean, completely transparent with everybody in the building, I would want you to know this about me, that I don't always feel very grateful or very thankful. For everything. And yet, as God's children, very clearly in Scripture, there is a command here for me to be grateful and thankful at all times for all things. What about the bad things? What about the difficult things? What about the horrific things that happen to us in life? Bad things like sickness, disappointment, Death, divorce, abuse, murder, rape. All of these things happen. And what's interesting is the child of God is not immune from these things. These things even happen to the children of God. And so what that does is bring us to two very interesting questions, and that is this. Why does God allow these things to happen? And secondly, How can we possibly give thanks always and for all things according to Ephesians 5 in verse 20, which is clearly spelled out in Scripture? Well, in order for us to do that, and and that's my goal this morning. It's a pretty big one. It really is. I mean, my goal this morning is to attempt in the next few moments to show you why we can give thanks at all times, for all things. 
And, and that's difficult. But if I'm to accomplish that, ultimately, that we're giving thanks for all things, then I, I, I need to share some scripture with you. And I'm going to do that through giving you eight factors to consider. And as you consider these factors as to why you should give thanks when it's really hard to give thanks, it's difficult. I'm acknowledging that. I'll be acknowledging it all sermon long. I I have not mastered any of this yet, but I have learned that I can give thanks for everything. And here's how I've done it. First of all, I want you to consider with me, number one, the sin factor. Consider with me the sin factor. Why do bad things happen? Why do these things happen? Here's the answer. We live in a world that has been cursed with sin, and therefore it is filled with sorrow. Cursed with sin, filled with sorrow. Why would a child be born, we ask, with a birth defect? Why would a mother who desires to have a child so badly have a miscarriage? Why would a person who's in the prime of their life be diagnosed with cancer? Then the chaos of nature. Just just recently, Hurricane Ian plunges into Florida and up to this morning has taken 91 lives with some still missing. How do we account for this? I ask you to remember, we live on an earth that bears the curse of sin. And not just does this earth bear the curse of sin, but our mortal bodies Bear the curse of sin. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, and we are by nature, all of us in this building, we are by nature the children of wrath. We all were born into this world with the nature of Adam. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death, as a result of that sin, death came upon all men through sin. And so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. Every one of us has in our bodies the seed of sin. And as a result of that, death has passed upon us. All men have sinned. And because of that death, Adam lived to be 930 years old. Not bad. It's a pretty good life, right? And then he died. Seth. He lived to be 912 years old when Seth died. Enoch lived to be 905 years old. Enoch died. And then we think about modern day. Man is living less and less and less and less and less. In fact, today, if someone is 100 years of age, and by the way, I greeted one of our church members, Miss Marion, this morning as she attended her, her Bible class, 102 years of age. And we marvel at that. We can't believe it. It's something we talk about. And every time we, we, we think of she or he is a hundred years old, can you believe it? That's incredible. Why? Because we bear in our bodies the ravages of sin brought about by the sin of Adam. And it's not just humankind that has been cursed with sin, but it is all of nature that's been cursed with sin. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 21 says this. Well, let me, let me go back real quick. I skipped the verse. I want to, I want to share that verse. I want, I want to ask everyone here today, this is, I think, a good one for us to consider as we look at our bodies. A man who is born of woman. Now, let me say this before I read the rest of the verse. If you have not been born of a woman, you can check out right now. Okay? You're good. 
Don't worry about it. You don't have to listen anymore. But if you have been born of a woman, you need to listen. The rest applies to you. Your days are going to be few, and your days are going to be full of trouble. Now, there's a clear interpretation there that you're not going to live a very long time, and the days that you do live are going to be full of trouble. Everybody encouraged this morning. (laughs) The truth is, we've all been born in sin. And the ravages of that sin has had effect on mankind. But not just mankind, all of creation. Now Romans 8 verse 21, the Bible says this, And the creation itself will be set free. Pay attention to these next three words or four words. From the bondage to corruption. Right now, creation is in the bondage of corruption. We see it. We mentioned Hurricane Ian, but there's not just hurricanes, there's earthquakes. We see floods and volcanoes and tornadoes. And even this week, as I was reading our local newspaper, I read this article where a report says this week came out 90% of U.S. cities. And it was funny because I was studying my sermon and preparing and looking for helps, you know, as I always do. And I thought, wow. Just this week, we've been notified that 90% of all U.S. counties have been hit with the disaster in the, next, in the last 10 years. In the last decade, 90% of America's counties have been terrorized by corruption. Why? All of these things. All of these things happen because nature itself has a curse upon it. And whether you are a Christian or not, whether you are a child of God or not, it doesn't make any difference. The Bible says it rains upon the just and the unjust. Understand this. This is not the world that God created it to be. This is a world that's been cursed by sin. And so our world, don't miss this, our world, our bodies have been marred by sin. But we, don't miss it, we can be thankful. We can take hope and we can thank God that in the worst of circumstances, if we know Jesus, he is going to reverse this. It's going to be reversed. We can thank God. I thank God. Romans 8, 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Let's finish that verse. Why? To obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So I can be thankful in the middle of it all because Jesus is going to make it different. And I have a hope in that. I believe that by faith, not by sight, but by faith, I believe Jesus is going to make a difference. And one day, we'll spend an eternity with him in a world where he rules, he reigns as king, and we as priests. Isn't that amazing? Think with me for just a minute. How can we thank God in a world cursed by sin? How can we thank God in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the evil, in the midst of all the death? We can because we have a hope. We have an anchor. We have a hope that Jesus one day will reverse everything. Secondly, I want you to consider with me this. If you have a tough time being thankful for everything, I want you to consider the discipline factor. The discipline factor. If you're having difficulty or bad things are happening to you, might I suggest it could be, it could be the chastening hand of God on your life. Look with me, if you would, at Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6. It asks a question. And the question is this, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, my daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he 
receives. If you're suffering, if you're going through a difficult time, it could be the chastening hand of God. It could be that God is chastening you. What does that mean according to the Scriptures? It means that He what? He loves you. It means He loves you. He loves you too much to let you continue in your sin. Listen, there are three kinds of judgments. There's a judgment as a sinner, there's a judgment as a son, and there's a judgment as a servant or a steward. Our judgment as sinners took place at the cross, and Jesus took our judgment at the cross when he died. And we're going to recognize that tonight as we gather around the Lord's Supper and give thanks for Jesus who died on that cross for our sins. He took our judgment. He took our place. And you and I will spend an eternity with Jesus because as sinners we've been judged in the past. But as sons we're judged in the present. And that means that at times, we're going to be chastised because he loves us. And he treats us like his own children because we are his children. And in the future, in the, in the future we're going to be judged as, as servants, as stewards. How do we steward our lives? How do we live our lives? That's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. One day when we give an account for what we did with the time we had as, as his sons and daughters of God. But I'm thankful today that the Lord Jesus loves me so much that there are times when he chastises me because he loves me. And how can I give thanks? I can give thanks based on Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, which says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So guess what, church? I can be thankful if it produces that. I can give thanks. I mean, if the ultimate goal is to become more like Jesus, if the ultimate goal is that my life would be transformed in the image of God's Son, and it includes some discipline, and those are are difficult times. It's hard sometimes to be thankful for that. But if I know this, I can thank God for all things and at all times. Thirdly, please consider with me this morning this, what I'm going to call the dependency factor. The dependency factor. God sometimes will allow difficult things to happen to our lives. Why? To teach us to depend on Him. Here's a scripture for you. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning in verse 4. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said that he heard things that could not be told. He said, I heard things which, honestly, man cannot utter. I I went to heaven. I saw things that I, I just... You couldn't handle. I couldn't share them. They're unfathomable. They're, they're, they're just incredible. And, and so, so Paul recognized this, and he said, On behalf of this man, I'll boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except for my weaknesses. Paul said, I'm not going to glory in me. I'm going to glory in the weakness that I have. Strange, isn't it? Though if I wish to boast, I would be a fool. I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth, but... I'm going to refrain from that so that no one would think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Man, I love that example Paul is setting here for all of us, especially pastors and preachers and leaders and moms and dads, those of us who need to understand that we do not need to think of ourselves as a big shot. 
My, my, one of my goals in ministry has always been, and I failed at times, and I know pride has snuck in at times. And I think back to 30 years of ministry when I probably did not uh, picture this as well as I pray that I'm doing now. But I want you to know I'm not a big shot. I'm a sinner just like everybody else is a sinner. I struggle just like everybody else struggles. And I want to be as transparent with you about that as possible. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying, I don't want to appear as a big shot. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to Paul in the flesh. This thorn was given to him by a messenger of Satan. It came to harass him, to keep him from being conceited. Paul recognizes and lets us all know that he had something very painful going on in his life. He talked about the fact that three times he pleaded with the Lord to remove that from him. And these were not three, you know, Remove it, remove it, remove it in one day, one hour, five minutes, 60 seconds. This was three extended time, periods of time. God removed this, and God didn't. He waited a while, and God did And then he removed it, God. Please, please, I'm at, And then another time, and these were extended periods of time where Paul was waiting to see if God would answer this prayer. But here's what God said, and here's how God answered. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, God said, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am thankful. I'm really okay. Okay with what, Paul? With weakness. With insults. With criticism. With hardship with persecutions, with calamities, in victory, in defeat. When I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Could you say that? Could you say, listen to that list again. Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Would we all be willing to admit this morning that we all have weaknesses? Would everybody be willing to say, listen, preacher, I get it. I admit it. And listen, it is a fact, but it's also an asset. It's an asset. Your weakness is an asset when it brings you to Jesus Christ. Listen, when it helps you to depend upon him, our place of weakness can be our place of strength. This is what I'm learning. This is what I'm understanding. And because of that, because of that, I can thank God. If my weakness brings me more dependent upon Jesus, I'm good with it. I'm content with it. I'm fine with it. I'm okay with it. If my trouble causes greater dependency upon Jesus, then I thank God. I thank God. Next, I want you to consider this. The maturity factor. We might call it this, the learning factor. All of us are in the process of learning. No one has arrived, right? I mean, who would, who would say, even what husband would say, not me for sure, I've been married to my wife for 34 years, and I'm still learning how to be. In fact, the Bible tells me to, to dwell with my wife according to knowledge. And, man, that's a pretty big book. <laughs> you know, there's a lot in that book, right, honey, for 34 years of learning. And we, we readily admit, you know, how, how did I not know this? And she towards me. As a pastor, I'm still learning, I'm still maturing. As a Christian, I'm still learning, I'm still maturing. I want you to think with me for just a minute. I want to ask you to do something honestly. First of all, I want to ask you a question. 
Think about the best and happiest time in your life. Or the best and happiest times in your life. I'll pause for just a moment. A great time, a happy time. It's a phenomenal. This was like, mm. what did you learn? What did you learn? Now I want you to think about the darkest night you've ever lived. The hardest thing you've ever been through. Doesn't take very long, does it? I mean, just something that's been just, it, it was scary. It was, hey, to be honest, it was, it was really tough. It was horrific. I'm going to ask you the same question. What did you learn? What did you learn? Can I ask you this? Don't we learn more in the difficult times than in the easy times? Would you not agree with me that there's so much more to learn when we're going through difficult seasons in life? The Bible says in Psalm chapter 119 and verse number 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Psalm 119 verse 71, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. It's good for me that I've been through a difficult season that I might learn your statutes. I can thank God if affliction causes me to learn, then I've got to thank God for it. I've just got to say, I thank God if that affliction brings me to a place where I'm learning, I'm maturing, I'm growing. What is God's plan for Erica Pacey? Is God's plan for Erica Pacey to be healthy? Not necessarily. Is God's plan for this preacher to be wealthy? Not necessarily. Is God's plan for this preacher to to always win? To be on top? Obviously not necessarily. God's plan for me is to be more like Jesus. That's God's plan for me. And I find that in Romans in chapter number 8 and verse number 28 that we know that all those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So what is God's purpose? What is God's purpose? Listen to it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's purpose for you and for me. That we might be conformed to the image of God's Son. And if affliction causes me to mature and grow and learn and become more like Jesus, I can thank God for every one of them. For all of it. I thank God. The goal of my life is Christ-likeness. I heard a poem 40 years ago. And I want to quote it to you today. I walked a mile with pleasure. And we chatted all the way. But left me none the wiser for all she had to say. But I walked a mile with sorrow. And not a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from sorrow when sorrow walked with me. Number five. When you don't feel like giving thanks. And I don't always feel like giving thanks. I've already told you that, right? You with me? You been there? When you don't always feel like giving thanks, 
Consider the patience factor. Consider the patience factor. Could it be that when I'm in a difficult situation, that God is just trying to work in me patience, which is a wonderful Christian attribute? Listen to Psalm 27 and verse 14. Look at it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Wait for the Lord! Exclamation point. James 1.4. Let patience have its full effect. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't quit church. Don't quit your marriage. Don't quit the, the business. Don't quit. Don't quit. Hang in there. Let patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We need to learn patience. The word patience Here's a Greek word that means to bear up under pain, to bear up under suffering. And you don't learn patience by reading a book. It's not how you learn it. I've often wondered, why is God not working in my life? Why is God not working in this situation? Why is God not answering this prayer? Why is God not doing this? It just seems like he should. Why is God not doing this? I've often wondered that. But could it be? That what he's trying to do is teach me patience. You'll need patience for just about anything in life. You want to learn to play the piano? You'll need patience. I think that's probably true about any instrument. My, my daughter's taking violin lessons. Can I tell you, it takes patience to learn violin lessons if you're taking them, and it takes patience as parents to listen to the violin in your house all day long. <laughs> It takes patience. It takes patience to be a husband. It takes patience to be a wife, a good one, a mature one. Because there's no such thing as instant maturity. That's what we want. We want everything right now. This, it'll be fine. I just need this and I'll be fine. I don't want to wait for this anymore. So if God is teaching me patience and patience is a godly virtue, then I can thank God when I'm enduring difficulty. When I'm going through a difficult time, when I'm waiting on the Lord, when I'm having to take courage because it's so hard to keep going. But God's teaching me patience. So guess what? I thank God. I mean, I've experienced this. I experienced this when my wife was ill for so many years and and you try this and try that and this surgery and that surgery and this situation and this medicine and that medicine... I experienced this, you know, when our church, it's, it's been so long now, we don't even think about it much anymore, but when our church went through a, 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 a period of transition, just learning to be a more biblical church and following God as opposed to following man, and we were looking at all these things and discovering things and preaching things and teaching things and talking about things, and it was so hard and so long. Someone described some of the transition of a church as turning a Titanic in the Mississippi River. It's hard. It's difficult. And there's times you want to give up and throw in the towel. As people leave and walk away and you're not going too fast, you're going too fast and you can't hardly please anybody, you just say, you know what, God, I've just got to hang in there. I've just got to believe, Lord, that you're leading me and if I'll be patient, this will all work out. A sixth factor to consider when you don't feel grateful is consider the ministry factor. Could it be, could it be, That the things that are happening to you that don't seem good may happen to you to enable you to minister to other 
people. Let me tell you what Carol Ann and I's life verse is for marriage. This is our life's verse as a couple. I have my own life's verse. I, I'm a John 3.30 guy. She has her Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. That's kind of our individual life's verse. But our marriage verse is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? Why does he do that? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with what? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And by the way, God can't give you comfort unless you need comfort. And when you need comfort, it usually means you're going through a difficult time, a hard season. I mean, something that can be just so difficult that you want to quit, but you're going through it. God gives you comfort so that you can comfort someone else as he brings you through it with the same comfort that you've been comforted with by God, the God of all comfort. In other words, God comforts us to make us a comfort and a blessing to others. I I can't tell you how often God has enabled Carol Ann and I to use the hardships of life, the toughest times, the darkest nights, the sleepless nights, the difficult seasons, the the tear-stained pillow, those moments in life that you look at and say, this was so difficult or this is so difficult. It's those things that God has used to make us the best ministers that we can possibly be for the past 30 years. We can attribute our effectiveness as ministers to the God of all comfort who's comforted us in difficult times of life where people have said, how, how can you be thankful? Well, because we get to help you. We get to minister the gospel in a way that we understand what you're going through. We get it because we've been there and we were comforted of God. So we got some good news. God will comfort you. God will strengthen you and whatever you're going through, he will use you to minister to others. A.W. Tozer said, God cannot use someone until he has broken them. I believe that to be true. And so, I thank God. I thank God. Number seven, I want you to consider with me the glory factor. What what is this glory factor? This, This one here is one that I think above... All the other six that I've given so far, I'd want you to get this one as much or more than anything. This has more to do with with, with God than any of the others. This This is so connected to why we are here. When we suffer, listen, when we suffer and we keep praising God through the storm, I praise you, I think it was, um, I praise you through the storm. Wasn't that, what what group was that? Casting crowns. I think that was one of their like all-time greats. I think... I've heard somewhere that that one got listened to more than any other song they've ever put on YouTube or something. People have needed, I praise you in this storm. When you learn to praise God through the storm, in the storm, in the suffering, somehow it gives God glory. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse number 12. Beloved, I love that. I love that. He starts off with this. I love you. Maybe we should start every sermon we preach, Scott, with this. Hey, before I start, I love you. 
You know what I have found gives people more confidence in the message when they know they're loved? When they know the messenger really loves them. Paul says here, I'm about to tell you something you're not going to understand. It's going to be difficult. Beloved, I love you, but don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. Don't act like this is strange. I can't believe this is happening to me. How could this happen to me? I'm the pastor. I'm doing God's will. How could I have this financial issue? God, have you looked at my tithing record lately? I'm doing everything you say. I tithe. Why is this happening to me? I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I do good. Why is this happening to me? I live for God. I serve God. I serve in the church. Why would this happen to me? Don't think it's strange. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're blessed if you're insulted. Why? Why would you be blessed? Here's why. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is amazing. This is beautiful. So to have the spirit of Christ... To have the spirit of glory rest upon me, then I must be willing to give God thanks when troubles come my way. When fiery trials come my way. When difficult things come my way. I can thank God because somehow, in some way, as I praise God in the storm, it gives God glory. Think about Stephen in the book of Acts. He was stoned for his faith. But remember what it said in Acts 7.55. But he, full of the Holy Ghost, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Not because God delivered him from that trouble. God did not deliver him from that trouble. He went through it and the glory of God was upon him. What about the three Hebrew children? They were not delivered from that. They said, look... You bow down to this idol and, and we'll set you free. If not, we'll throw you into the fiery furnace. Remember this story. We tell it often. Our children know it. It's, it's a wonderful, incredible illustration of three men who said, you know what? We're not going to bow down to that idol. And we think God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, and he didn't, they went through it. He didn't deliver them from that fiery furnace. They went into the fiery furnace. They said, even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to that idol. Nebuchadnezzar gets up the next morning freaking out, has to check it out, what's going on here. Goes down to the furnace, looks in, says, oh my goodness. I don't just see three men. I see a fourth. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. The Son of God. I praise you in this storm. If God is being glorified in my life, even though I'm persecuted, even though I'm insulted, I give thanks to God. Why? Because he's being glorified. And if God is being glorified in my life through persecution, through difficult times, I thank God. I can give thanks at all times for all things. 
Number eight. Well, pastor, listen, I appreciate your effort today, but I'm just sorry. I'm not buying it. I can't go there. You have no idea what I've been through, and maybe I don't. And so I really appreciate you trying. It was noble. I appreciate the scriptures. I appreciate the effort, but I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I have never gotten it. I don't get it, and I'm just not with you. I I just can't thank God. Well, then number eight, consider the mystery factor. The mystery factor. Here's why. You may never know. You may never understand. So we must understand this, that God is sovereign. God is bigger than we could ever imagine. He He reigns above it all. His ways are incomprehensible. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isaiah 55, verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Listen, don't you try to figure God out. We, we can't figure God out. That, that, it's impossible. His ways, his thoughts are so much higher. He's sovereign. He reigns above it all. He is someone when we can't, when we can't understand, we can still trust that he knows what's best. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God Warren Wiersbe said, one of my favorites, he said, we do not live by explanations, we live by the promises of God. We can't always have it explained to us, therefore, we just live by God's promise that he's in control, that he loves us, that anything that happens to us is not, uh, he's not shocked by it, he understands, he knows, he cares, he loves, he's making us more like him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. There's the mystery factor right there. There it is. There it is. There's the mystery factor. We walk by faith, not by sight. We can't see it. We can't understand it. We just simply trust. We may never figure it out, but we know that God is sovereign. Real faith is not primarily receiving from God what we want. Real faith is this. It's accepting from God what he gives Not receiving from God what we want, but accepting from God what he gives. And someone has rightly said, where we can't trace his hand, we can trust his heart. He's good. He's faithful. And we can thank him. One of the darkest days of my wife and I's life was a day that we went to get the first ultrasound of, I believe it would have been our fourth child. And we went to the doctor, and we, you know, we, we were excited. We were excited. Like everyone that is pregnant is excited. You think the best. And when he put the gel and did the check and checked for the heart, Dr. Cardenas looked at us and said, man, something strange is, is happening here. I, I, I don't, mm, don't see a heartbeat. I, I fear I have really bad news. And he carefully and lovingly told us that he really felt like the child was, was not living. And so I said, Doc, I said, um, hmm, are you sure? He said, listen, I've, I've checked this multiple times. I wouldn't tell you this if I wasn't sure. 
I said, I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but I said, can you give my wife and I seven days? He was quickly recommending a procedure that would be best, you know. And I said, can you give us seven days? He said, why? Why seven days? I said, well, I want to I want to spend some time with Carol Ann and just, we just want to pray and I'm going to fast for seven days and Doc, I'm going to say this in front of you and my wife. We want to be able to come back in seven days and just be able to thank God either way. If God raises it up to live, we thank God. If he decides to take the baby, we're going to thank God. But I'm not ready yet. I need some time. He said, I've never been asked that before. But, sure, I think we'll be okay. I said, you're not jeopardizing your license. You're nothing like, he goes, no, no, no. I think we'll be fine. Well, we got in the car. We wept. It was difficult. Look, I'm not saying it was easy. It was super hard. In fact, she'd, she'd cook dinner every night, and I'd sit and watch her eat. And I'd fast and pray, and we'd go to bed every night, get on our knees, and we just cry out to God, cry out to God. Lord, we know you've raised Lazarus from the dead. You've raised the dead to life. We know that you can, God. We know that you're able, God, to touch this little child and to put my hands on her womb, you know, and, man, it was emotional. I said, God, I, would you please allow that heart to beat? But if not, I just want you to know, God, we're good either way. We're good either way. We're not going to quit. We're not going to turn back. We're going to be content with whatever you do, God. This is what we're asking. But God, if not, we're okay. We're going to thank you, God. Seven days. On the seventh day, we went back. We walked into that room like we did the first time, and the same exact thing happened, the ultrasound and the procedure. And we waited anxiously, holding hands, as you can imagine, in anticipation as to what we would hear. And the doctor said, no heartbeat. I'm so sorry. The doc, nothing to be sorry for. It's, it's God's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. We don't get it. It hurts. But God is good. And we can thank God. We still cried. We wept. We embraced. It was difficult. By no means am I saying we, I mean, there's still times where you, you know, you, you can't help but to think what it would have been like, what would they have looked like. And then we remind ourselves, one day we'll see. Because we have that hope that when we get to heaven, that child didn't have to grow up in this sin-cursed world. It got to grow up in a different place. To God be the glory. I thank God. I thank God. You know, this morning, I'm not sure who is hurting this morning in the building. I just know this that when you preach to a congregation, you never want for hurting people. And I know that this is a congregation of hurting people. We've been through things. We've struggled through things. We've been through heartache. We've been through loss. And I wonder today if we've just not really had a moment where we've stopped and said, God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. It's been difficult, but God, I thank you because if this is making me more like you, if this is bringing you glory, if this God is maturing me as a believer, God, I want to thank you for it. I want to thank you for it. So let me ask you the question that we started the service off with. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? 
in this invitation, I'd like for you to participate maybe just in a moment where you take some time and just stop and think about some things you're thankful for. The easy ones will come first, but the tough ones will come later. Take a moment and just meditate on those things. And as we sing and as we worship and as you feel led to stand in just a moment and worship and praise, you do that. If you need to come to the altar, you do that. Jeremy and I will be up front. We always are here to receive any prayer, any request, anyone that needs to be saved. We're ready. We're here. If you need us, we want to pray with you. We're available. But you respond as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you to respond. What are you thankful for? at all times and all things. Father, I love you. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to share with my church family in an intimate way. Lord, that I'm learning more in the difficult seasons than I've ever learned on the mountaintop. And God, life seems to oftentimes blur my vision of gratitude because of the chaos of the sin-cursed world. And God, it's difficult sometimes to even turn on the news or read the paper because, God, there's so much going on that is so discouraging and so horrific. And yet, God, I know that you're going to redeem this world, that you're going to reverse this curse of sin. And, God, there'll be a day coming soon when our God, who reigns above it all, will sit on the throne and rule and reign in justice and we will serve and sing and praise you forever. God, I'm grateful for that. I trust in that. I hope in that. And I pray that you bless our time together as we respond. May we take a moment to be thankful. In Jesus' name.